there's no question that an honest look at the scriptures reveal that God's attitude towards children is positive and that his general plan for married couples is to have children and to enjoy them. So the more biblical question to ask is this, what do you do with them once God gives them to you? That really is the big question, isn't it? Now that you have children, how do you bring them up successfully? Welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're happy to have you with us today. The pastor Steve is teaching an extensive series of lessons about the biblical family. Today he begins a lesson entitled Biblical Parenting Part 2. Because of time limitations, this message will be in three parts as usual. In the following two broadcasts, Pastor Steve will address the discipline issues that most of us find so challenging. But today he'll be laying some groundwork by discussing our attitudes toward our children. Those attitudes have tremendous impact on how we discipline our children. So it's important that they be aligned with God's attitude toward children. Now here is Pastor Steve with today's lesson. Recently I met a young couple, not from our church, from another church, that are strongly opposed to having children. I mean, strongly opposed. In fact, one night they debated with their pastor the issue of why having their dog die was the equivalent of the pastor and his wife having a child die. Now, at first you may think that's rather humorous, but I can assure you that the pastor and his wife were not laughing the night of this discussion because this couple was absolutely dead serious about that. Now, while most people don't put pets on the same level as children, many couples do have an extremely negative attitude and feelings about children. In his book, Your Family, God's Way, author Wayne Mack writes about one family struggle with their daughter and the underlying negative attitudes that help create these struggles. He writes this, at the time of her marriage, Mary Brown was involved in, an, in uh, a rewarding career. She enjoyed her work and was good at it. Besides this, the thought of, of parenthood with all its responsibilities left her feeling insecure and inadequate. The fact was that Mary really didn't want to have children. Harry had different ideas. He, he asked uh, then begged, then tried to send Mary on a guilt trip. He used every means of persuasion he knew to get Mary to agree to have children. After a long time of this, Mary reluctantly conceded. Soon, Susan was conceived. Mary was pregnant, but she didn't like it. She resented Harry and eventually her daughter for the way her life had to change. On top of that, she experienced guilt because she knew that her attitude toward Susan and Harry was sinful. Mary was between a rock and a hard place. She knew she should deal with her sinful resentment, but she didn't really want to give it up because it was her way of punishing Harry for what he had done to her. Unwilling to grant Harry complete forgiveness, she chose to hang on to her resentment. Mary had the child, but only because she was forced into it. And that laid the groundwork for the family's tremendous problems. Now, I only read that because I think that Mary and Harry serve as an illustration because they sort of represent a lot of couples who, who have children, but one of the, part, one of the spouses uh, just uh, resents it, resents the child and resents the other partner. And, and so there are tremendous conflicts that develop. Now, as we think about biblical parenting, 
and the question of having children, what should be our primary concern? Should it be our careers? Should it be how children will change our lifestyle? Should that be paramount in our thinking? Should it be how children will affect and restrict our social lives and, and cut deeply, and I mean deeply, into our finances? Now, all of those attitudes are, are really sinful. They're sinful and they're selfish reasons for not having children. If a person really has those attitudes, they need to repent and need to get before God and confess their sin. And there's a lot of people who do have those attitudes. Look what this child did to my career. That type of deal. Now, the main concern needs to be this. What does God want? Lord, what do you want? And Lord, when do you want us to have children? See, that's the issue. When do you want us to have children? Not do you want us to have children? Because the, the Bible makes it clear. We're going to look at a few verses in just a few minutes. The Bible makes it very clear that God's general plan and general will for married couples is to have children. Now, there are a number of valid reasons why couples may choose not to have children temporarily, but not permanently. It may be, for example, that it's the, the, uh, not the right time to have children. It may be that someone is involved in a specific and significant ministry that would make it impossible to be a good parent at that time. Or uh, it may be a temporary situation that would make it stream, extremely difficult on the children, not, not the parents so much, but the children. Or postponing parenthood temporarily until personal problems are cleared up. Sometimes we're going through some very difficult times. We don't want to bring children in the midst of that. We need to clear those problems up before having children. That's certainly understandable. Also, uh, some couples are just not physically able to have children, and, and uh, we have to recognize that. But the Lord's general plan and his general will for married couples is to have children, and not only have children, but to have the right attitudes towards children. Now, what does the Bible say about, about God's attitude towards children, about having children? Let's, let's look at a few verses. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 is rather obvious, rather clear. God said to Adam and Eve, the Lord blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. But, but notice he said, be fruitful and multiply. God is giving us complete endorsement. In fact, it's a command to have children. And you might think, well, that was for back then. Now we have replenished the earth. So I'm sure God doesn't have that same attitude. That's not true. As he closes the book of Malachi, which closes the Old Testament, Genesis opens it, Malachi closes it. It's interesting that in Malachi chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, God makes it clear that one reason that God has ordained marriage is to produce a godly offspring. You can turn to it, not now, but turn to it on your own. Uh, but one reason why God created marriage was to produce a godly offspring. So, so as you go through the Old Testament, you see that God never changes in his attitude towards children. Even though they replenish the earth, so to speak, there's still that same attitude that God says children are a blessing. You see, between Genesis and Malachi, God speaks many times in a positive fashion about having children, especially if they are wise and obedient children. For example, Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verse 3, very famous verse, says this, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. 
So God says that when he gives us children, they're exactly that. They are gifts from him. They're not accidents. They're not burdens. They are gifts from him. They're, they're his gracious reward. Uh, Eve acknowledged when she gave birth to her firstborn Cain, she acknowledged this truth, though she didn't know Psalm 127, but she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord, from the Lord. Not just I've given birth, but I have gotten a man from the Lord. This is from God. Proverbs 15 verse 20 says this, a wise son makes a father glad. Now there, God doesn't just say you ought to have children, but wise sons, and, and obviously it would mean daughters too, make a father glad. Even grandparents get into the act because Proverbs 17.6 says this, grandchildren are the crown of old men. So you see God's attitude, according to the Old Testament, is that children are not a burden. They're not a burden on your, on your checkbooks, on your careers. Uh, they ought not to be. But they are a blessing from God. It's interesting, in Psalm 128, I want to read you the first four verses because when God refers to a family, he includes children. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Man who fears the Lord will not only have a wife who's doing well, the Bible says your children will do well. So God includes children in the family. What about the New Testament? Does God continue having positive statements about children in the New Testament? Was it just, or is it just for Israel? Did he just want Israel to repopulate and, uh, and, and get large because that was his unique family, his unique people that he set his, his uh, love upon? No, the New Testament affirms the same truth. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 14, the Apostle Paul writes concerning widows, young widows. He says, therefore, I want younger widows to get married. Paul says, I want younger widows to get married. That's God's general will for younger widows. Get married, bear children, keep house, and give the enemy no occasion for reproach. That's a significant uh, verse. Titus chapter 2 Verse 4 makes an assumption, makes an assumption that marriage and children are for most young women. Because in Titus 2.4 we read, and he's speaking about older women are to teach younger women. And he says in verse 4 that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. It's an assumption that younger women are married with children. What did Jesus say about children? What was our Lord's attitude? Matthew chapter 18 very clear what Jesus thought about children. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called the child to himself. He stood him in their midst. And he said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Then in Matthew 19, one chapter over, verse 13 through 15 say this then some children were brought to him so that he might lay his hands on them and pray and the disciples rebuked them i mean what they were saying is the master's too busy spend time with little kids that's not how jesus felt because verse 14 said jesus said let the children alone 
and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And after laying his hands on them, he departed from there. Now there's no question that an honest look at the scriptures reveal that God's attitude towards children is positive and that his general plan for married couples is to have children and to enjoy them. So the more biblical question to ask is this, what do you do with them once God gives them to you? I mean, I remember before Ben was born, Michelle and I went through all these Lamaze classes and um, uh, we, we went through all this instruction and then finally our son was born and I thought, now what do I do? I mean, they didn't tell us now, I mean, apart from the, the physical care, how do you spiritually nurture this child? How do you really take care of this child? That's the more biblical question. Once God gives the child to you, what in the world do you do? Well, the answer is found in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, and, and that's where we were before we were rudely interrupted by my heart. Okay? So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 says this, And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, as I see it in this verse, there are three broad truths about raising children. And I think that you can find answers to three important questions about raising children. Uh, question number one, who is responsible for raising children? In this verse, he says fathers. Now, that doesn't uh, mean that mothers are not important. It just means that the father is the head of the home. He's the one who God has ordained to be uh, the head and accountable to him for how the family is run. And therefore, the father is responsible to make sure it gets done. It doesn't mean that he does everything, but he is responsible. So when you read fathers, it, it simply means that, Dad, you are in charge. Certainly your wife is going to be your greatest uh, helper, and she may do most of, of the work directly with the child, but a father can't just say, a husband can't just say, uh, Honey, they're yours. Uh, you take care of them. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you uh, money. You just make sure they're taken care of. No, he has to be involved. He ought to know what's going on. So who's responsible? Fathers. Then we have a negative. What should we not do? There's a negative question. What should we not do? And that's answered in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Now fathers have responsibility and they are the authority, but don't abuse that authority. Don't abuse that authority and by abusing it, you would provoke your, your child to become an angry, rebellious young man or young woman. And I've thought about this uh, the last few weeks. There, I think what Paul is talking about is an unreasonable exercise of authority. Dad, don't build your ego at the expense of your children. Here's how it works. There are some men who at their jobs are, uh, shall we say, rather low on the totem pole. And they really long to have someone to reign over. They long to rule, but they don't do that at work. But they have the authority at home. And so uh, when they come home, they want to be the boss. And they want to, to uh, give orders. And they become little tyrants and, and uh, dictators. That's not what this verse means. You're to serve your children. You, you are to serve your children by 
by raising them and not becoming little tyrants. So be careful about that, that small, very weak mentality that says, I'm going to push someone around and I can biblically push you around. That's, that's wrong. Some men who do the very same thing in misunderstanding what biblical submission is and they command their wives to do all kinds of things out of the name of submission when really they just have a sinful desire to be a little higher on the totem pole. Now the third question that, that this verse raises is this. What should we do? We know what we're not supposed to do and that's provoke them to wrath. We know who's responsible, and that's fathers, but what are we to do? Well, that's what we want to look at today, and, and we will look at it. What should we do in raising our children? The end of verse 4 says this and tells us, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I love that verse because it encompasses and incorporates so much. It just sums up what the Bible says about raising children. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, the first thing we ought to notice is that we are told to bring them up. You may pass over that and just, you know, kind of neglect that and just look at the word discipline and instruction, but it's important to see that we are to bring them up. In other words, children don't automatically grow up to be what God wants them to be. They have to have somebody who brings them up. They cannot bring themselves up. Say, why not? I'll tell you why not, because Proverbs, Proverbs 22, verse 15 tells us that they can't bring themselves up. Proverbs 22, verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Proverbs 29, verse 15, if you can't follow as quickly as you'd like with me, just write these verses down and look them up later. Proverbs 29, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. They can't bring themselves up because left to make their own choices in an atmosphere of complete freedom, they will make foolish choices and bring shame to their parents. That's what these two verses teach. You can't just let them be on their own. Therefore, not only has God given children to parents as a gift, but parents are given to children as a gift. Children, though they may not always recognize it, need parents. And God graciously provides parents to guide that, ch that child. Parents have been given to children because that's God's design to raise children the way he wants them to be. And this is a task that every parent needs to take seriously. This is our ministry. You may have gone to school many years for your careers, but this is most important. This is priority. This is the task that every parent has to take seriously. As long as your children are in your home, it is your job to bring them up as God wants them to be brought up. But I want to encourage you at this point, because I know what it, like, uh, what it feels like to be a parent and, to, and what it feels like to, to uh, feel as a failure as a parent. And I struggle with this just as much as anyone, any one of you. But let me encourage you parents with children at home. The way the original... Greek language reads, the verb that is translated bring up is in the present tense. That's significant. It means this, that child training is an ongoing task. It's not a job you finish in a day or a week or a month or even a decade. It's not like, shall I say, potty training. It's not like that. You get it over with and you're finished and you move on. Uh, raising children, not like 
just potty training. And the reason I think this is encouraging is because every day holds new opportunities for bringing up your children. So even when you blow it and feel like a failure, and what parent, if he's honest, wouldn't say that I blow it many times and I feel like a failure many days? Listen, even though that happens and you feel like your child is going to turn out rotten because of you, and I know those feelings, you need to keep in mind that God has graciously given you many, many days and many years to accomplish the task, and every day holds new opportunities to, uh, to, uh, to change things and do things right. And so take heart. Don't give up. You've blown it in the past. I've blown it in the past. But it isn't that we've been given a week to mold this child. We've been given years. And, and I want you to know, don't let Proverbs 22.6 discourage you. Let's, I want everyone to turn to Proverbs 22.6. I want to explain something. Many times parents feel guilty when they don't need to. There are some parents who ought to feel guilty, and, and they don't. But many parents have looked at Proverbs 22.6, and they become very discouraged. Here's what it says. Here's what it says in, in my version. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, the popular interpretation of this verse goes something like this. If you punch the right buttons in raising your children, you will always get the right product, and all parents whose children fail are totally to blame. That is something like the common interpretation of it, but let me, let me tell you why that's not the interpretation. Well, it's not the correct interpretation. And over the years, I have uh, done some thinking on Proverbs 22.6 and have really changed my view on it. Uh, the reason I know that this cannot be the interpretation of, of Proverbs, the right interpretation of Proverbs 22.6, is that it doesn't fit the rest of the book of Proverbs. It's out of sync. It's out of step with the rest of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is designed to help young people make the right choices. That's what the book is about. It's a father instructing his son on making the right choices, the, the wise choices of life. And throughout this book, we are told that parents can teach the truth, but the child must choose wisdom. The child makes the choices. It's his choice. It's not his parents' fault if he doesn't choose wisdom. The parents' role is to present truth the child's responsibility is to choose to walk in that truth, which would be wisdom. And the book of Proverbs does not call the parents fools if their child disobeys. It calls who? A fool. It calls the child a fool. It speaks of the child being a fool. It does not put the blame on his parents. It puts the blame on him. So Proverbs 22.6 cannot be an isolated verse completely out of step with the rest of the book of Proverbs. Also, it's a fact that good parents don't always turn out good kids. You say, well, how could you prove that? There's only been one perfect parent, and that's God. And he had directly two kids named Adam and Eve who went astray. Now, if the one who's the most perfect parent had two kids who went astray, then I don't have to wonder if good parents have other children who go astray. Let me give you the right interpretation of this. Because there is a discrepancy in the Hebrew language. Notice where it says, train up a child in the way he should go. Literally, in the Hebrew would be in his way, or according to his way, meaning according to the child's way. Thanks, Pastor Steve. I wish we had time to go on. There's more to this verse in Proverbs, 
But time has run out, and we'll have to get back to that in our next broadcast. If you'd like to hear this whole message all in one session, just give us a call and order a CD. The number is 727-441-1714. Please leave your name and a number, and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again is 727-441-1714. This program is a production of Verse by Verse Ministries. Pastor Steve Kreloff is our teacher. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. Verse by Verse Ministries was a natural outgrowth of Pastor Steve's teaching here at Lakeside. We are a faith ministry which depends on the prayers and gifts of interested people who have first been supportive of their local church. We hope you can join us for our next class as Pastor Steve continues this lesson. We are here to give you strength between